0: This is Doc Wesson, and in this episode of The Gun Nation, Grant explains what a grip frame reduction is. Hey, do you want a bulletproof ball cap? And we get to a bunch of your emails, all that and more more and more more in this episode of The Gun Nation, and it all begins right now. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, this week we've got uh, kind of our old standards, I guess. Uh, emphasis on old. Well, except for Paul. Paul's a young guy. <laughs> I think that was a slam. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm in that too, man. I'm in the 50. Club. He's in the young guys, it says. Oh, l-
2: l- yeah, let me do that's it like right.
0: this. Young at heart club. <laughs> <laughs> So I never thought I'd ever have to talk about myself that way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Anyway, so as you heard, we've got Paul, we've got uh, Average Joe, we have Grant. Uh, I love Earth Day with uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy Cunningham. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, On on Facebook, I I had noticed that uh, uh, Grant's favorite mention, um, Bill Nye the Science Guy, had... uh, Taking a little trip with, Obama. Bomber. You, you, you'll notice that I'm not the one who
2: was, you know, sucking up to Bill Nye at the airport and talk, you know. I just stepped
0: up and said, please, hey, and please, he just Bill, took
2: off. please, please recognize me.
0: <laughs> so anyway, I wasn't wearing a bow tie. That's what it was. That's you know, it. I need <laughs> to get me out. Do y'all own bow ties? Any of you? No, I don't. Some reason I just would think that Paul Grant, would own a
1: bow tie. Oh, I actually don't own any bow ties. I, I, could, I might be able to pull a bow tie off.
0: Well, I think you could. That's why I was saying that. You could sport
2: one, you know. I'd, I'd have to learn how to tie a bow tie. That's, uh, I don't know how to tie one. So, Well, I mean, you
0: know, you just get the It's been out.
1: his excuse for a year because there's. it's not like there's an internet where you could look that up. Right? I mean, if that was invented, <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome.
2: We should do, do that. We should do that. We should totally do that. You mean wear bow ties? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, Oh, my gosh. Gore Gore handled the internet, and I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: right. Well, anyway, we're going to do an answer show and just do the emails this time because uh, maybe a little news um, because
2: we've... uh, We've run out of ideas. Yeah, no.
0: No, we're just getting stacked up. I'm getting stacked up on this. I I have to... I've been extremely busy with work, so we've been very sporadic, and it's my fault for um, getting shows together here in the last few weeks. and. I actually am still behind on editing the last show to put out, so it will get done as soon as we finish this show, and then I'll promptly start, hopefully, on on doing this one. Depends exactly on how much uh, bourbon I uh, imbibe. <laughs>
1: Let me ask you a quick question about uh, busy at work, Doc. Mm. Um, you know, is it is it possible that you're working on a new material for uh, ballistic? headwear as in like baseball
0: caps is you know, that is that that the was project... one of the ones i wanted to bring up and i forgot and the <gasps> answer I can't is we a resounding hell no <laughs> did you see the yeah, picture of yes that i did i am glad you brought that up because let's do talk briefly about that one because that was a facebook oh, I, thing. Was, I was really smokes. hoping nobody would mention this. no we're going to talk about this Oh boy! and if you're unfamiliar with it uh, there's a company what's the name of the company uh, it's
1: bullet safe i'm double checking that right now um but i'm pretty sure it's bullet safe
0: so they're making like basically ball caps Mm -hmm. that have uh ballistic insert panels and i looked at the video it appears and i may be wrong but honestly and i'm hoping that we as a company are not selling this material (laughs) to them i mean it could very well be and i just do not know it uh or they've because you know what happens is you know we we produce my company produces we we of course weave um, Kevlar and Dyneema and Spectra and all the uh, high performance uh, fibers into fabrics and there's a, just a, an incredible host of those uh, types uh, you've got tight weaves that are very very you know small yarn sizes and you've got bigger yarn sizes and the smaller and tighter they are and the lighter it's the exact opposite you'd think. You're getting less, uh, you know, of the Kevlar repair intermit or whatever with it. But it gets more expensive because it's harder to have to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I get people call me all the time at work and say, hey, I want to put this book bag together for kids at school. And I want to, uh, you know, have it as a ballistic, ballistic book bag where they can just, you know, like second graders can jump down behind the book bag and hold it and if they get shot at they'll be safe and i was like well you know if they have books in there that's a pretty good help (laughs) uh but they're they're just so heavy you know when you start adding the number of they a lot of people just seem to think that um you know you have one uh you you know layer of this stuff and it's going to be fantastic but no it's it's really not the case at all it's you got to have multiple layers of the stuff Uh, but it's It's absolutely, you know, you you got a lot of people out there. I I imagine some of them are, you know, excited about trying to come up with good ideas, you know, and some are trying to capitalize on just making a buck, you know. And some are uh, doing both. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing well while you do good. Oh, no. Capitalism capitalism is awesome, baby.
1: Yeah, physics doesn't step aside. No, it doesn't. And and And, that's the whole – I mean, it's it's unbelievable. They had this video that was on a – a CBS news program where they were testing these ballistic panels and this company bullet safe is out of, uh, the Detroit area. And so, you know, it caught my attention because, Hey, you know, that's, that's kind of my old stomping grounds. So they did all this testing on these hats that were on top of dummies. And the best was they put a cantaloupe. Now I understand the human head is not a cantaloupe. So don't, don't think that I'm making this mistake, but they fire a, a nine millimeter into the ballistic panel in the hat over the top of the melon. And what do you know, you can actually see the bullet bounce back. Mm-hmm. The whole bullet, it doesn't penetrate. Yet, it takes and drives the entire panel through a hole that's now about, I don't know, 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.75 in diameter, through the melon and into the interior.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no. I don't...
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's Awesome.
0: You know, it's awesome. The, the whole, and you're right. I mean, the laws is, of physics. Is, is that what you call back face deformation? That's huh? what you call back face eating. Back of
1: your face. <laughs> back face absorption. That's the problem.
0: I, I mean, mean we'll it, see. Uh, yeah, see, because, you know, the smaller the panel is, the less surface area you've got, less friction against whatever it's on. And it's going to absolutely, you know, fold into a pinpoint, basically. And they have it. It's, uh, it the way it looked on that video was like it was kind of rigid. It looked like yeah. a rigid one. I, yeah. I want to say it looked like a phenolic one, very similar to the type that they have in helmets themselves. So mm-hmm. it honestly, to me, almost looked like it was a cutout of a helmet stuck into the uh, the front part of a ball cap. You know, right there at the you know at the forehead, so to speak. Yeah, it and, does look
2: pretty rigid, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a rigid panel, and, and, yeah. and trust me, if it if it were a um, uh, like uh, your standard police body armor that's, you know, like 2A, 3A, not 3A. Yeah, well, nothing with the ceramics, uh, which right. is soft body armor. Then it would take, you know, like, depending on what what fabric, you know, variety it was, it, and what I mean by that is the weight, the weave, and all that. But if you just use Kevlar alone, it would take, like, you know, 16, 20-some-odd, 30 pounds, you know, <laughs> cutouts of this fabric and the layers of this fabric in there which would be ridiculous you know so so you know obviously awesome yeah oh yeah yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's nice and resin. it stay, stays up tall doesn't it uh, yeah. but uh i i uh, you know of course they like you say they shot the thing and it it, it literally kind of just went to the interior there now yeah you know you're gonna the guy and i like the comment the guy says well you know you're gonna have a concussion but uh you're gonna be alive <laughs> And I'm not so sure about that. I mean, you die from back face deformation. That's why they measure that stuff. Right, that's right. why they measure it. And, and in essence, it will, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about it, we're talking about it on like, you know, body armor that's for the chest and the back and all that. And uh, when it hits, you know, you've got like so many millimeters of deformation that goes in, and I'm telling you, it will absolutely kill the crap out of you. I mean, it certainly will if you don't watch it. You know? Well, you know, I and, and I hate having the crap killed out of me too. You know, absolutely. you have that done quite often, so yeah. I can understand your.
2: Well, you, you know, know, in the in
0: the training world, we talk it.
2: all the time about the the idea of doing headshots, and in fact, Paul and I were having this discussion not too long ago about doing headshots and what happens when people actually shoot at the head. And very, very often, particularly when we're talking about, uh, as they are in this video, shooting at the sloped forehead, very often what happens is that bullets skid off or or sort of slide around the head. Uh, They very often don't penetrate because of that hard frontal bone. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me, in, in looking at the demo of this hat, is that You're probably more guaranteed to get, if if nothing else, bone fragments put forced into the brain Mm -hmm. from this thing, bone spall. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) than than you are to have the bullet actually penetrate. It looks like it might, and and again, this is there's a lot of speculation, and and keep in mind, folks. Yes, there's there are a lot of variables here, but it almost looks like you're more likely. To, to have a debilitating injury from being shot in the forehead with this thing than just taking your chances with
0: the bullet. Yeah, could be. I'd like I mean, to attack
1: this from a little bit of a logical standpoint as opposed to a scientific standpoint. <laughs> I uh, I tweeted out after I saw the video. I, I tweeted the video and then followed that with a tweet that said, bullet Safe needs to pull its head out of its posterior interstice, which... <laughs> Of this course, has become
2: is, Paul's favorite
1: word. I love, love it. It. I'm glad I could. Love interstacy. I'm
0: just glad I could. So
1: within 20 minutes, I had an email from Bullet Safe. And the email read something like, Paul, it was great to speak with you at SHOT Show. We'd like to enroll you in our partner program where you can sell our products and then receive. And I'm thinking to myself, now, wait a minute. I just completely tore your company a new one on the interwebs. And what you did was you stripped my information from there, found my email address, and then contacted me
0: about selling for you. So if they're
1: that smart, I'm not wearing any of their products.
0: Well, they didn't understand Pulling it out of their posterior Interstice, interstices, yeah. yeah,
2: maybe. That's funny. That, that is. A, it really is.
0: A... It, it real. It really is. And you know, um, so this small panel up there, like that. No, it's no. I mean, when you have a helmet, you've got all the cushioning and and contraption on the inside that that helps with that. Plus, it's going to be thicker, and it's just yeah. You, you you know the fact that you actually have the entire helmet it creates it like a you know how a bell it resonates mm-hmm. um, that that also absorbs some of the energy as well whereas a cap like that nah 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 <laughs> so you know uh, shooting melons with this okay have a good time putting it on the old <laughs> noggin uh, I don't think so <laughs> anyway.
2: So- yeah. And so if both safe is
0: listening, send your emails to doc at gunnation. Well, I mean, you know, I, I applaud people trying to do things. I really do. I think it's fantastic that anybody's trying to look forward on yeah. on, on safety and, you know, and, and, and I'm all for capitalism, too, by gosh. I mean, you know, if you've got something that comes out and it's excellent, uh, you know, you should be making good money on it. Um, so I'm not saying that's it. I'm not saying but, that's the reason. I just... But what you're
2: saying is at the same time, people need to keep their head out of their posterior interstices. Very good. And
0: I... Let me write that down. Guess what, Art? Guess what <laughs> our title for the show's going <laughs> Yes! <laughs> just... He keeps bringing them. He keeps on bringing them. I'm loving it. I am loving it. So anyway... And speaking of something else funny, uh, Average Joe here was working in the shop recently and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> a source us? of never-ending amusement. Yeah, and, and I'm, I want him to tell us because it is, it is hilarious. Go ahead, sir. Well, it, it's
3: always interesting when you're working in any job with the public, what may happen, who may walk in the door, and, and what you may see. Uh, and uh, I was working with a younger gentleman uh, uh, last week who uh, – was interested in uh, Smith and Wesson revolvers, and so I was showing him several revolvers that met his uh criteria and then he pointed down at the bottom shelf and he said, Can I see that one down there? the model thirty six classic Chefs special
0: <laughs> What's it, Tom <laughs> What's the guy that does uh, Hell's Kitchen? Uh. <laughs> oh, the British
2: guy. Yeah, yeah. wasn't him? Gordon was it Ramsay? <laughs> yeah, Ramsay. Gordon yeah, Gordon Ramsay. That's it.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Like, does that chef special come with ham, cheese? Uh.
2: You know, in fact, what you should have said is, surely would you like a side of hash browns with
0: that, hun? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? How did you not but did you bust out right there I would just well, like really it,
3: it was tempting and had there been another salesperson um uh, close by within earshot it probably would have been difficult to keep from laughing but <laughs> you know I was dealing with this individual who was buying his first handgun yeah. and uh, we don't. uh you know was just reading the Tag incorrectly. Yes. Um, and so I just... I didn't laugh. I just... No,
0: and that's a wise down thing.
3: Pulled that's out the chef special. Yes. Which today happened to be a um, chief special.
0: <laughs> that was the chef special. Well, that's funny. I mean, but, you know, we don't want to make light of a guy that's really trying to do well. I mean, you know, get in there, get him a handgun, trying to learn the stuff. Did you... You never corrected him? You just... No. Okay, that's probably wise too. No. And wasn't there something else that was...
3: uh... Uh, There was a woman who came in. Our our shop is uh, uh, very near a home improvement store. We sit just uh, uh, adjacent to one with a few shops in between us. And she comes in carrying a large bag of uh, uh, different gardening supplies and then a huge shovel. And she goes up to the 1911 case and is uh, starting to look into them. And and I I walked up to her and said, so um, how are things going between you and the husband?
2: (laughs) Nice.
3: And and fortunately, she was uh, a good-natured soul who realized that there was humor in the situation. And she laughed too after trying uh, after assuring us that she was not going to go home and uh shoot her husband
0: awesome <laughs> awesome, and you said that she was going to bring him back actually right
3: yeah, she was going to bring him back because she was looking for uh a carry pistol and uh wanted to get his input on it as well,
0: yeah, in other words, do you want to die by nine millimeter or do you want to die by forty five? <laughs> That's the question at least she's asking him right yeah she's yeah taking in she's very considerate you know <laughs> anyway and, and one last question do you have any Glock 43s that uh...
3: <laughs> we've actually had I think now three or four come into the shop they're already pre-sold
0: oh yes I'm sure
3: uh, and what is interesting to me and looking in the safe last night, we had two of them sitting there, you know, people called daily wanting to know if we have them. And now we've had two that have come in for two people, and uh, they have not been in to pick them up.
0: Now, that's interesting. As crazy as people are to try to get them right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, how interesting.
3: You know, we could take those, put those on gun broker. Um, Make ten times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and sell them way above the suggested retail, which is not even close to what we sell them at. We're well under suggested retail.
0: Yeah, wow. Because that's
3: that's the amazing thing. You know, I've seen I've seen them on GunBroker for uh, six, well over six hundred uh, to seven hundred dollars. Wow,
0: mm, unbelievable. You know, are they really in and. and Paul, I know you jumped into the the Glock boy fan club, um, <laughs> <laughs> but are they, are they really, are they really all that? I mean, you know, uh, and granted, I'm sure they're great. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, Glock makes good stuff. I mean, you know. Um, sure, sure.
1: You know, here's the deal with the Glock 43. Um, I'm probably never going to carry a Glock 43. Mm-hmm. My lifestyle is such that I can carry a larger gun it 's easy for me to choose how it is that i dress yes uh, you know i don 't have a problem carrying you know my Glock quote eighteen unquote and you know it 's not the right gun for me, but that being said, what I love most about it is that Glock looked at this and developed this gun from a really appropriate standpoint. Uh, they did not develop one gun, chamber it in three eighty and then release it again in nine millimeter a year later. These mm-hmm. are two specific purpose built guns that are going to serve two different niches with the 42 and the 43. Mm -hmm. And for folks out there, you know, that are having trouble reaching the trigger on a Glock 26, the Glock 43 is going to be a dream to shoot. Makes sense. Um, For somebody that has big paws. No a Glock 43 is not going to work very well for them. And so I'm just happy that Glock has approached this from what I see as the, the correct standpoint Mm -hmm. and whether or not the 43 is the right gun for you or not, well, you've got to decide that determine what, what way you can carry, you know, how well you can conceal, you know, what your dress style is, and then choose the firearm accordingly.
0: Well, you know, um, I recently uh, start seeing now on YouTube a lot of the people that do reviews and and the like, like uh, Hickok 45, you know, and he, mm-hmm. he had, uh, you know, I think three 43s, and he had, uh, of course, LC9 there, I think it was a Smith and Wesson shield. I think it was the one with the thumb safety. I'm not I can't remember totally because I tried to catch up on it uh, the other day. But uh it, in essence it was uh you know, it looked fine. It shot great. I mean, you know, um but then again, the LC9 did and so did the shield. I mean, you know, sure. and like you're saying, he, he one of the things he did was to put the uh the grip tape on there, uh, primarily cause he has very large hands mm-hmm. and he commented on that and said, you know, Hey, I'm, I have to do this really to kind of shoot it better. And, uh, um, so, you know, that does make sense. And that's one of the things you do on, like with revolvers, Grant, you know, we've, if you, one of the things you can do, obviously, if the grip's too big, you're not reaching the trigger is, uh, to, you know, get a thinner grip. Uh, or go to one that works better (laughs) you know one works better for you and uh, as a matter of fact we have an email we'll come up with here in a little bit we're not going to do it right yet Uh, someone asking that very question and so we'll uh we'll obviously address that um as well but i you know i don't think i'm gonna run out and get one i probably eventually will get one but uh I, i mean i I'm, I'm glad people are buying them. I think it's fantastic, and I'm glad you know Glock uh, did that. And they've looks like they brought it out at the right time, uh, you know, on the heels of such a successful launch of the R51 that Remington came out with. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, and I, I really would like, uh, honestly, that would have been the one that I would have wanted to get uh, if it had worked. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, that,
3: and that's a big if. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's not really a big if because the question has been answered.
0: Yes, yes. I guess there's a good and, way to look at it. Good like way to look said, at it. Yeah, like I said, uh, I think Paul, you said last show, they're getting ready to come out with them again. Or at least <laughs> they said they were, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. they're
3: coming out in
2: October. Mm-hmm. I hate yes. to remember October.
0: 2014. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <right. laughs>
2: they like October, apparently.
0: <clears throat> they sure do they sure do you know but personally to me the april 1st you know kind of thing would be more apt just saying as a matter of fact Paul, didn't you comment that you thought maybe when you saw it that uh it was uh you had to check the date to make sure it was april (laughs) first
1: i was like what it's ridiculous you gotta love it oh unbelievable
0: well, oh, all I'm, right. Well, I'm um, sure th- going yep. back
3: to the 43. I'm sure you saw these, but I, I thought the uh, video of Hitler discussing the Glock 43 was just hilarious. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, a oh, six-round magazine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You're right. You're right. Maybe we'll find that and put it up. Uh, Link to that on the web page. Uh, that was funny. Um, i tell you what. Uh, let's do a little news, and then we'll get right to the email after that. Um, like I said, we're going to kind of do a little answer show this time because our email's starting to get backed up. Um, the Ruger Mini-14 Tactical Rifle is now being offered in, anybody? <laughs> 300 Blackout. Yes, the AAC Blackout. Three hundred. It is uh, going to be an overall length of thirty-six and one quarter inches. The length of pull is uh, thirteen inches, and it's going to weigh a scant six point seven five pounds. And it retails—you got it—just like the rest of them for a thousand and nineteen dollars. Yes, so you now can you now can have that with the twenty-round capacity magazine. And uh, of course, it comes uh, with a blued finish and a black synthetic stock. If you're not familiar uh, with uh, with those particular rifles, the um, I, I, I assume eventually they'll probably make it in that one that's got the. Uh, well, I'd say that, but I don't know that because they didn't do it in the Mini Thirty either. The uh, synthetic collapsible folder, I think Tapco makes it for them, or say a, one. A, what is it? <laughs> ATT or a, ATI? ATK, I element ATK LMNOP uh, can make Sick. it. And then, uh, uh, but maybe so, maybe so. I don't know. And, of course, they all come with a uh, blade front sight and adjustable rear, rear sight and a 16.12-inch barrel length. So what do you think, guys? Rushing out?
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. <what> was,
0: uh, <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, did you say something, Doc? Well, no, they are. I mean, you know, the 300 is selling, right? I mean... I've seen. It looks like stuff like that. Yeah, obviously know, Ruger would not have decided to jump in on the blackout bandwagon there if it wasn't selling. That's their. I'm sure I, I their. Think, I think know, it, vision it, statement it, is to make money for the company. I'm, I'm sure the same dozen people
2: in the country are probably buying up all the 300 blackout rifles. Mm. Uh, I I don't get it. Uh, I I po- In fact, I posted something. On Facebook several weeks ago now, about kind of critical about the 300 blackout, and it was an article somebody wrote and said, you know, the, the 300 blackout just doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, you wouldn't believe the 300 blackout fanboys that came out to defend that round. It's it's really pretty amazing. It's kind of like, I guess, the 357 Sig or the 10 millimeter pistol. There's that really really vocal group of people who really like the round, and uh, kudos to Ruger for taking advantage of that market. I can't imagine that though, that the, the people who are into the blackout round are going to be terribly excited about a mini 14.
0: Yeah. That's the, I I mean, the whole point really, isn't it like like you've got the two opposing, you know, rounds that you can use in it. The, the, what is it? The 230 grain, uh, you use it with a can and it's supposed to Mm -hmm. give you really very silent, um, I guess close quarter use. Yes, it be very, very quiet. And then, uh, uh, of course you can also shoot something that gives you more of the seven sixty two by thirty nine um mm-hmm. you know, ballistics
1: um out of it.
0: You and know that's I, what
1: Ruger should come out with though, is a is a mini fourteen in like seven point six two by thirty nine.
0: Oh gosh, you know they could call it the, the mini thirty. <laughs> that yes. I was yes. hoping they call it the mini seven point six two by thirty. There's an idea. You know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I mean the whole point was to you know, to get it in a in a you know, an AR style rifle, I guess, and and to be able to shoot it like that. If I'm hopefully I'm not mistaken here, correct me if I am, but isn't this kinda like the three hundred whisper? The three hundred blackout. If you're familiar with the three hundred whisper, anybody? I don't yeah. I
1: don't know the whisper myself.
0: Yeah, J-, J. D. Jones, I think, was the one that came out with the Whisper. Uh, Correct. Yeah, as a Wildcat kind of cartridge in the past. So, I mean, I, it, it almost looks. I mean, really, it has it not got the dimensions of the Whisper. I mean, yeah.
2: If if I remember correctly, there was um, the the th- the Whisper did come out first, and of course, the Whisper was a Wildcat. Yeah, and. I, I don't know how close I would have to really go back and look. I don't know how close the blackout dimensions are to the whisper, mm-hmm. but I think it was obviously clearly inspired.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and to the big deal was, <clears throat> and, and this is one of the reasons why coming out in the, in the mini 14th, kind of like, okay, uh, kind of scratching the head a little bit, but the, the, the magazines, uh, 20, round capacity magazines there are obviously going to be Ruger magazines for that rifle, but in the, uh, the AR platform, uh, because the, the case dimensions, uh, you know, in diameter are the same as the, uh, five, five, six, uh, you, you could use those magazines. So now you've got, uh, proprietary magazines through Ruger. You have to purchase if you want more of them. So, And this is just not cheap at all. Holy cow. Wow. Anyway, I'm sure it works. I mean, that's a great 7.62 works.
1: Well, and I wonder if really the target with that rifle is those areas in the country where folks cannot necessarily own that AR pattern rifle.
0: That's possible.
1: Can't hunt with that AR pattern rifle. And so, you know, if you provide with the proper magazine capacity you know, someone say in New York uh, where where hunting is restricted and and ownership of firearms is restricted so that those AR pattern rifles aren't an option. Well, here's an option that's actually been around for years now chambered in a new caliber. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for helping those folks that are quote, behind enemy lines, um, you know, have have firearms that they can use for both sporting and defensive purposes. So if that's the direction Ruger's headed, I apologize about everything else I've said.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'd have to agree with you there, Paul, because I know that the in in a lot of jurisdictions the evil features right. of the AR-15. and We can look at California, where if you want to know an AR-15, you have to do the bullet button and and you have to have the the thumb hole stock and all that kind of thing.
0: Thing on the shoulder so, that goes up. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
2: Yep. Yeah. And oh, I have two I, of those, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I assume the Mini 14 is available for sale in those very very restricted areas like California and New Jersey and. New York, what, other, what others are really restricted like that?
1: You know, I had a conversation with the folks uh, at Troy uh, when we were at the NRA show, and we talked specifically about that because they've introduced both the AR-15 and the AR-10 in a pump action. And, and really, I was, I was asking honest questions, trying to wrap my head around it. And, and that's when I had that epiphany was, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a semi-automatic rifle. This is a pump action rifle this is going to be legal in places where the Mm. AR-15 is not. And so Mm. it gives that person that can't have the AR-15 another option. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that because normalizing even just the look of that rifle in those um, anti-gun political climates, that's actually a really good thing. Makes sense. Well, I'm sure it's going to be
2: fine rifle, but... I'm just sad that we have to do that, Paul.
1: Oh, (laughs) there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that.
2: I'm now very depressed. I think I'll have the kombucha. Yes, with your funk in your
0: Mm. sinuses. and Mm. earlier Grant, of course, was in just absolute peachy form this morning. Uh, I was running behind. We're we're actually doing this in the morning on a Saturday. And uh, I was uh, was out uh, power washing the uh, driveway. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I was like, I got to get in. I got to get the show done, you know, and. Uh, I saw a message from Grant saying he was tired of waiting and uh, he's just been because Lord only knows what
2: Doc was doing out well, there. Anyway. I think quite frankly, he and Bill Nye were, uh, and we're not going to go any further there, but Bill Nye being Doc's favorite person in the world and his best friend
0: forever. So. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, as you can tell, Grant's voice is slightly raspy. He has uh Some funk going on in there, and uh, I think he was saying it might be some fungi and uh, you know some mold or something. Which, if I'm not mistaken, isn't kombucha made of fungi and mold?
2: (laughs) Yes, doc. Just saying. Yes, doc. Just saying.
0: So is cheese. Go ahead and And I have a lot of cheese on my pretty cheese too. Then just saying. Uh Ruger also has come out with the seventy seven seventeen, which is now in the seventeen Winchester Short Magnum. And uh let's see uh, yep, seventeen WSM cartridge, the bolt action gun will have a, a walnut, American walnut stock, which are very nice, checkered in a twenty-four inch stainless steel barrel. Metal parts will be a matte stainless finish. The guns will weigh about seven point five pounds. A six round rotary magazine f- feeds feats that rifle. And as with the others, uh the seventeen WSM version does not ship with sights. Rigor does, however. Uh, machine integral uh, scope mounts directly uh into the receiver to provide an exceptionally stable mounting surface. And uh the MSRP is uh nine ninety nine. Uh this one makes hmm, fairly decent sense. I mean, you know, I'm,
2: I'm surprised that I, now I shot the WSM mm-hmm. at the, I think 2013 shot show at media day mm-hmm. when Winchester had introduced it and it was, it was a nice shooting rifle. It was very accurate. Of course, there was only one rifle at the time chamber for it, which was one of the Winchester rifles mm-hmm. and it was a very nice round, but I, I haven't, actually seen this on the shelves well of course i haven't seen any ammunition on the shelves lately but i haven't actually seen this stuff on the shelves in any of the gun dealers uh, at all and so i'm kind of surprised that that they would come out with a gun in this chambering that i don't i don't know is getting any traction anybody else see it any place i've not, not, not looked,
3: looked. It, actually, you do it, it's tough to get in and when we get it in it goes quickly.
2: Really, okay. Yeah. But Is anybody can... besides Winchester making ammo for it now?
3: Not that I know of.
2: Okay. Interesting there's choice.
3: Hornady loading that I'm seeing here. I'm
2: doing okay. some
1: quick research but nothing uh oh there's some there's some Federal American Eagle.
2: Okay, that's
0: interesting. Hmm. and that's it, huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it looks like the win in the in the American Eagle are uh, are what's out there right now, mm-hmm. at least in stock anywhere. And we're talking about a round that's you know thirty ish cents a piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm for surprised. a rifle round, you know you're you're doing pretty well, but for a rimfire round, you're way up there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, it, you know. It's a, I guess it's the nominal is twenty grain bullet, and uh, it runs what three thousand. 3,000 3, feet,
1: 3, feet, feet per second, yep. Yeah, yep.
0: so, um, you know, that's that's pushing pretty good. It's not bad for, you know, rimfire and all, but uh, like you said, that is expensive for, for that.
1: Is yeah. there a semi-automatic uh, rifle chambered
2: in this yet? Yeah, f- uh, Franklin Armory makes one. Hmm. Okay. And I think, actually, excuse me, uh, I believe that Volkerson is also making a semi-auto mm-hmm. version
1: as well. Interesting. The, the ballistics have, have got to be pretty impressive along with very low recoil, I would imagine. And so for, you know, really small statured people, um, might be an interesting defensive round in a, in a rifle.
2: Yeah. I can tell you that from the bolt gun that I shot it from, recoil was unnoticeable. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, and you would kind of expect that a 20 grain bullet out of a, I don't know, it's probably a seven pound rifle.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still waiting for Rigger to come out with the 357 mag carbine. Uh in the semi-auto or even the lever action would be nice, I think. I would still like to have one of their bolt actions in- It's in- nice, not cheap, but very nice. Not cheap, unfortunately. Yeah, they are they are nice. Ooh.
1: Looks like Savage has one of those 17 HMRs as well. Hmm. Or she, yeah. I'm sorry. I just said HMR, and that was, I don't know if that was Habit, and now I've got a pop-up block in it. Yeah, that's HMR, not WSR. Two different things. Uh,
2: let's see. Looking at the Wikipedia entry, it says that there's a Savage available in WSM. Hmm. I don't know how yeah. accurate that is.
3: Hmm.
0: I have not cool. seen that. So. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's do some email here since we've got quite a bit. Ready? Want some email? Sound good? Let's Go through it. That. Yeah. Uh, Jason Cavanaugh writes in. This is how Doc and Company. The weekend, this weekend, I took uh, the class Beyond Conceal Carry with Bob Main and Ben Branham. And uh, uh, Bob and Ben, they're over at the Handgun World Show uh, podcast. If you want to check that out. Uh, one thing I figured out is that my fingers are too short for my Glock. Under stress, if I don't get the perfect grip, I have trouble depressing the trigger safety, safely, excuse me. Another trigger safety, yes. Uh, two options I've found is a lightning strike trigger, with, uh, which is 100 bucks, or a long Wolf frame, which is $200. Would either of these, uh, if used, could they be used against him in court if he was involved in a shooting and the trigger met the specs of the Glock 5.5 pounds? Uh, Do you know of any other options, such as maybe grip reduction? And if all else fails, what guns should I look at that have shorter trigger reach? Ready, go. Mm.
3: (laughs) Well, in terms of his question about the legality, um, none of us on the show are lawyers. No, thank Uh, you. And... I don't know what the precedent is, but one of the things that Masada Yub always stresses is you're okay with making modifications if you can articulate why that modification was necessary for either safety or improving your accuracy. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think that sounds like an argument that could be made based upon his need. He wants this pistol that is uh, reliable and accurate and it's used by law enforcement all across the country but he needed a shorter reach for it so he installed uh, this other trigger Mm -hmm. Uh, this also may be a case where the Glock 43 uh, would be a good uh, option for him once those become readily available
2: I I Uh, from the modification standpoint, I heartily encourage him rather than putting in the trigger, which is not going to shorten the trigger reach as much as as you think they 're not really all that short because i 've tried them i 've got very very short hand very short fingers. And I have trouble with the Glock 19. I have a great deal of trouble reaching the triple. I'm, I'm in the same way. If I don't get a, my hand in exactly the right place, I'm not going to be able to reach the trigger. You could certainly always buy another gun, which is what I elected to do. And that's, this is how I ended up with my Steyr S9 originally. And, of course, you can also get a Smith & Wesson M&P or a Springfield XD. All are great solutions. Or you could, I think the best solution, if you like the Glock, and there's a a lot of reasons to like the Glock, is to get a grip reduction done. And I've handled quite a few guns that have had grip reductions, Model 19s particularly, and Model 26s actually, that have had grip reductions. And the change in trigger reach is enormous. It it makes the difference from my barely being able to shoot a Glock 19 pretty well to being able to handle it absolutely perfectly. And also, by the way, it reduces the, the reach to the magazine release as well, so that makes it a little easier. And I would heartily encourage a grip reduction. They're out there, you, I, there's no issue in terms of courtroom defensibility because you've made the gun easier to shoot to any given level of, precision that's not really going to be an issue so i would suggest a glock grip reduction the the best ones that i've seen recently are coming out of lou Biondo at business End customs he's True. he's doing some tremendous glock grip reduction work so i i'd recommend
0: the grip reduction how much you, i mean basically what do they have to do to reduce the grip like that
2: well, what they do is they fill it. There's an area behind the magazine well, that, that, that hollow area that some people put grip plugs in. <laughs> yes. What they do is they fill that with black... uh, epoxy mixed with I I assume some sort of glass fiber Mm -hmm. fill that up completely and then basically cut away the original grip frame and so the the (laughs) epoxy that they fill it with becomes the new grip frame and Mm -hmm. somebody who's really good like Lou uh, matches it so precisely that you can't tell where the where the original frame ends and the fill portion begins works very very well. They're of course, they never separate. They're, they're um, epoxy bonded to the to the frame, so they're not going to separate. And these things have been around now for gosh, I think the first one I saw was probably 15 years ago, and it may oh. be longer than that. So people have been doing these things for a long time. It's a very very well proven modification, and it works. Works pretty well. I don't know what they cost, however. Mm. Not even a yeah, guess. I,
1: I think that uh, the grip reduction is a really good possibility if you like the Glock. Understand that once you reduce that grip, it's going to virtually uh, eliminate your resale value of your gun. Yep. I, for a lot of folks, that is, that is a good non-issue. Point. For me, it was a non-issue. So that's one thing to think about and understand beforehand. Um, when grip reduction started, also understand the idea that there weren't other guns out there in the Glock niche other than the Steyr, which really wasn't all that well known. Um, there wasn't an M and P, there wasn't an XDS, and so or an XD, excuse me. These were this was a solution to a problem at the time. Well, now there are some commercial solutions to that problem in buying that Smith & Wesson or that XD, which both have a shorter trigger reach than the Glock does. Um, So understand that you have some other choices. I have the exact same problem. Now, interestingly enough, I only have it with one of my Glocks. There's a Glock 17 that I have where if I don't grip that gun just perfectly, that the trigger safety won't disengage the way I place my finger on the trigger. And it works on every other Glock, just not that one. So one of the things I'll throw out there is if you have multiple Glocks or if you have a buddy with a Glock, take your frame apart, yank out your trigger, take your buddy's trigger, slap it in there, and see if that makes a difference. You may find a solution for $35, and I made that number up, but it's about that to replace an entire trigger pack on a Glock. You may find that there, you know, a part is just a touch out of spec. Maybe there was a mold that was just a little bit... Um, you know, uh, uh, worn and was allowing the plastic on that safe to be a little bit larger than it should have been. Mm-hmm. Give it a try; it's worth um, spending that money to figure that out. If you go the reduction route, Grant brought up probably the best in the industry, Lubiando. Do not just pick somebody off the, the <laughs> interwebs. I've got I've got two lock frames that I'll be happy to share with you right now. That were folks that did a grip reduction for me, and they're just frames because there's nothing else attached to them because they're ruined. So choose carefully and understand that you want to go with somebody that really knows what they're doing when it comes to a Glock grip reduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: definitely.
0: Interesting. I, I never looked into that. Uh, didn't realize that's how they did it, you know, filling the hollow cavity back there like that. That's I could see where somebody that didn't know what they're doing could mess up really mm-hmm. easily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I could see well, the, that being a destructive mess.
1: The, the biggest problem is is that they they destroy the uh, integrity of the frame, and right. so on both of these guns, I can literally just crush the frame. Oh, um, you know, and and I mean I'm, I have a big man hands, so you guys probably have never had this kind of an experience, but um, you know, <laughs> just, ow, squeezing, ow.
2: Oh, just squeezing that, that
1: frame, I can I can literally just crush it around a magazine, and of course at that point in time now, you know, this gun is it's no longer safe to fire. Something else I forgot to mention. When Grant and I were uh, at NRA, we stopped by the Apex booth. And Apex does um, trigger packages for mm-hmm. Smith & Wesson M&P series pistols. And so there are folks out there that even with the shorter grip uh, reach or the shorter trigger reach on an M&P have a hard time reaching the trigger. They've got a trigger called the forward set trigger. And although the name says forward set, understand it moves the trigger back in the trigger housing. It makes it a shorter trigger reach.
2: Uh, I, so. I will say, I did try that that Apex trigger at the NRA show, and if you've got an NMMP and you have got still have trigger reach issues, I've got to say that forward set trigger, and again, I've got small hands, that forward set trigger really makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, the, the forward set trigger is a nice setup. And of course, again, we're talking about a trigger modification, so what it is that Randy brought up at the beginning of this conversation is important. You need to be able to articulate why that's important to you. Um, and if you can show that your hand doesn't fit the gun properly and so you made a fit change, that's going to take the wind out of a prosecuting attorney's argument that you made a change because you're a, a crazed killer. And that's what we need to be able to articulate.
0: Or a guy with big man hands. <laughs> 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 hey, well, now where, this forward set trigger, Where where can this be acquired at?
1: You can get that from Apex. Apex. So just do a search for Apex Forward Set Trigger. You can pick them up at Brownells. Um, I just made a link to the video that uh, is up on Personal Defense Network. If you just go to ssa.training slash short trigger, it gives a video overview of that Apex Forward Reset Trigger.
0: Cool. Very good. Okay, well, that's. Uh, I think that was answered well. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so, you know, we talk a lot about uh, thumb safeties, uh, and, uh, you, you know, people are going to have their opinions on them. Uh, Paul, I believe you have an email.
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, am I correct? The, you are correct. I, I still have the bullet safe email up in front of me, and so it's almost as terrifying. Uh, mechanical safeties. The, I, this email is quite possibly... The longest, most graphical email I've ever received in my life, mm-hmm. and I have to say, um, it's it's quite interesting. I, really, the uh, the the shtick of it is, we've got a couple of graphs where on the y-axis, the up and down axis, there's a level of threat that is uh, starts at zero and goes all the way up to you know, remote Alaska bear country, which may be. Uh, The the worst threat that a person faces and then on the x-axis going across from from no threat To close quarters combat. We've got a need for firearm Security, I believe is what that says Need to defend oneself need to defend other people and so what what the the email is doing is trying to show how mechanical safeties may be more useful in some circumstances than in other circumstances based on how safe you need to keep your gun and how much you might need to use your gun to defend yourself or to other folks. And, and so on this graph, there would be an area where no mechanical safeties would be appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then there are places where, you know, safeties would be almost necessary. Mm -hmm. Really kind of an interesting thought. Um, I don't get it.
2: I I think that, and I I appreciate the writer sending us in the email, and I, I appreciate the time that he he took to to draw these graphs that I'm still tr- really trying to figure out. But I I think that it m- kind of misses our point, and 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 I know we've made this point many times before, and so we'll make it again. We're not denigrating those people who choose to have a mechanical safety on their gun. Right. And, I, and I think that's the first thing. And, and that tone kind of came through in his email. I think a lot of people uh, feel that, that we're making fun of people who, who have mechanical safeties on the gun. We're not. We simply point out that the mechanical safety is one more thing that you have to train to use and one more thing that you can forget to use in a critical situation – that's it. That's all we're saying. If the choice is between having a mechanical safety and not having a mechanical safety, in general, from a defensive standpoint, I'm going to pick not to have the mechanical safety because, again, it's one more thing that I have to train to do and one more thing that I have to remember to do. Mm-hmm. And having and Paul and I have both come from a competition background, and, and I can remember a time back in the day. When I had been shooting 1911s and CZ-75 clones and Browning High Powers for, for a number of years in competition, that's what I carried also. And I got into my first surprise scenario in a quote-unquote tactical match. And I, I we had shot most of the match and went into one of these scenarios, and I drew the gun and forgot to take the safety off. Now, I'd done this draw stroke procedure tens of thousands of times up until then, I thought that it was completely automatic, but in this particular case, I was so surprised by what was going on, I drew the gun and forgot to take the safety off. And that was sort of my awakening point that said, you know, m- maybe if I can forget to do it here, I can forget to do it when my life is actually on the line. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started going towards guns that don't have a mechanical safety. And this is what we, we tell people. Uh, We get the the emails all the time that says, well, this is a training issue. Yes, that's our point. It's something that you have to train more in. It's something you have to practice more in. And that's time and effort and attention and all that other stuff that you can't spend working on other perhaps more important skills. So it's not that we don't understand the use of mechanical safety. It's not that we don't. Understand the 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 um, the circumstances under which it might be useful from a sheer non-shooting safety standpoint. It's not that at all. It's the idea that when we're talking about a defensive tool, it's one more thing that you have to train and one more thing that you can forget. That's all. If you choose to carry a gun with a mechanical safety, great. You just have to practice and train with it.
1: And I'm, I'm taking a look at the graphs, and I, I read through Charlie's email again here as, as you were speaking, Grant. And, uh, you know, I think, I think one of the things that folks misunderstand about mechanical safeties, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm not putting this into Charlie's head. I don't know that this is what Charlie's trying to say because he doesn't come out directly and say this. But when we look at mechanical safety as a tool to make it more safe to store our gun, then we're missing the point. We've got we we can't depend on that mechanical safety as a safe storage device. Um, the mechanical safety is simply there to prevent the trigger from being pressed when it's not intended for it to be pressed, or even more importantly, to keep that gun from being fired when it's dropped on firearms that don't have a drop safety. That's the, that's the reason that the manual safety was invented, was to put in a way to keep that firearm from being fired inadvertently. That doesn't necessarily work for when someone is handling a firearm. If that safety gets turned off, it, if it doesn't get used at all, and the trigger gets pressed, that gun's going to fire. So, so that's number one, is we've got to take and, and step away from the trigger as a device that allows us to more safely store our firearm. Uh, the second thing is is that when when Charlie shows in his graphs here this idea of of the the places and the times when uh, a safety might be more palatable and when it might not um, we don 't get to choose those circumstances we don 't get to pick when it is that we 're going to use our defensive firearm we don 't get to choose. The, the kind of environment that we're in and the level of safety that we have, because the fact of the matter is, if we find ourselves in a violent encounter, it's chosen us. And it could happen in the driveway of a nice neighborhood that's perfectly safe where no crime ever happens. Or it could happen in the middle of a, a neighborhood that no one would want to be caught in after dark. You mean like we, Nashville? Exactly. Like all of Nashville. <laughs> I mean, except for the Grand Ole Opry itself. I mean, that was it's a great place. Yeah. But um, yeah, we don't get to pick that. And so, if we're choosing to use a firearm for defense, then we need to choose the firearm that is going to most uh, help us to defend ourselves efficiently when we need to. And that is going to be, for most folks, I believe, a modern firearm that doesn't have that manual thumb safety so that we can use that gun when we need to. And I think what Charlie's trying to do here with the email, and I really appreciate it. I, I think it's a, um, he obviously put a lot of time into this email and, mm-hmm. and shared some, some, um, some cool stuff in there and made some cool comparisons. And thank you for that, Charlie. I think what he's doing is trying to help us put this into, into reference for folks that are out there. And, and I think that he's brought up some really good points here that we've been able to expand on mm-hmm. to say, Hey, you've got to make the choice for yourself and, my personal opinion, I'll speak for myself and myself only, not for the gun nation as a whole, just all of the gun nation people with manhands, um, you know, <laughs> I, I believe that a firearm with no thumb safety is probably the best choice for most folks for defensive use and proper training to go along with it.
0: Yeah. Okay, manhands. <laughs> How tall are you, Paul?
1: Uh, six, eight.
0: And, and how what's it five eight i'm sorry five eight? Yeah, five eleven and a half actually. No, so i'm not, you're I'm not a, a tall guy i'm a five, I'm five ten half. so right. i'm right. you know i just trying I to figure was... out where you got that bunch of bananas you call hands there <laughs> yeah exactly Anyway, uh, uh,
2: you know it's five eleven and a half we got it have, right you know,
0: right yeah it's just
1: not, so want to be six feet
0: please see but, by the time you reach 50 and you start compacting that half just disappears. Yeah, right. yeah. It probably
2: already has. Who knows? I just haven't had my height measured recently. So. What, what, I can, what I can say, tell about Paul is that uh, he is d- dwarfed by Hickok 45. Oh, gosh. That guy oh, is yeah. huge, tall. Yeah. Yeah. I was standing next to him at the NRA show, and he's like eight feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's,
0: that, i mean and, and really? He's like six eight right? I mean, yeah, I think not. he is. Yeah. Six, eight, eight, six, nine. He's I mean, good guy. gosh. We, uh,
1: we met up with Steve Fisher as well at the uh, uh, Nighthawk Custom Booth, where we also met Sheriff Jim. So we, had a, we had a good time at the Nighthawk Custom Booth, and I've known Steve for a long time. And when I shake Steve's hand, I shake his palm, and he shakes my forearm. I mean, it's like, <laughs>
2: holy smokes, man, that tickles. Don't do that. That's like shaking Jerry Mitchell's hands if you've ever met Jerry Mitchell. he's got these gigantic paws, and it's like, yeah, if yeah, where's my
0: elbow, Jerry? Jerry, where's my elbow? <laughs> yep, true. No, it, no wonder he's not like Papa. I mean, <laughs> you know, shooting <laughs> double action revolvers as fast as he does, and having to carry the meat hooks around that that big a yep. meat hook, you know. So, wow. Okay, so we have determined that should that be the title of the show, man hands? <laughs> what was the original title? Inter- I I the original I thought poster- interstices was yes, the title, interstices. Yes, yes.
1: Pull your man hands out of the posterior
0: interstices. There <laughs> we go. That's going to be one heck of a long title.
1: <laughs> but it's it's Google friendly. I mean, yes, all it is. It really from SEO. And right? and I'll
0: have to say, I'll go down saying that uh, I believe that's probably the first time that on a gun show. Those words have been used. We do that a lot, you know. Yes, yes, we do. We do it a lot. I did want to bring up, but Grant made a good point about uh, uh, single action and and shooting uh, competition and all. And that's where you kind of are going into it knowing you're actually going to fire the gun and win. Yep. Um, Even if it's kind of tactical, you're still set up knowing, hey, I'm here to actually fire the gun and compete. So if you're forgetting then to flip that thing off, uh, you, you know, you can't walk around every day all day long and say thumb safety, thumb safety, thumb safety, you know. Uh,
1: so so here's what I teach students that determine that a uh, thumb safety is best for them, especially those folks that use a 1911, the strong hand thumb. Typically, we're talking a right-hander here. So for the 10% of you that are left-handers, you're going to use your left thumb and you're going to need to make sure you have an ambi safety or a left-handed safety on that gun. That thumb lives on top of the safety lever. Whenever you grip that gun, the thumb goes there. And then as you draw and and come to the position, and you'll have to determine when the right time is to turn off that safety, um, that thumb is able to press down on top of that safety. And then it stays there. Until it's time to turn the safety back on. That's the only time that it comes off underneath, presses up, and then rests immediately back on top of the safety again. Right. And that's how I habituate students to use that safety. And therefore, it's much more likely that they're going to deactivate it should they need to. That's why like, the Smith & Wesson shield was a crazy design with the safety because it was the size of like a pinhead. Mm-hmm. And there's no way your thumb could live on top right. of it or even feel it or tell if it was deactivate it or not. And so, you know, it's not an impossibility to take care of, but it's just an extra step that we have to consider. And if you have something other than a 1911, something other than a single action, you don't have to worry about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, speaking of 1911s, your, mm-hmm. your standard uh, single action 1911, um, you know, I prefer thumb safety on that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean... <laughs> Really, that is definitely when I would want one on a gun, really, for sure. Um, You know, I mean, being single action and all, and and based on the mechanics of that particular type of gun, I mean, do you agree?
1: I think that's the the key there, Docs, is the mechanics of the gun. Right. Because we want to make sure that that gun is not going to be inadvertently fired. You know, we see all the things about a, a shirt or a holster or a zipper pull or something getting caught inside the trigger guard. Without any kind of a trigger safety,
0: mm-hmm.
1: without any kind of thumb safety, with that short, light trigger press, that can be an issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I have to say, and then of course you could always go to a double action revolver. Mm-hmm. Take care of it. Yes, you can. You can always go to that. And I got to say, you know, these are he he very well on this email, very well thought this out, uh, and put some effort into it. And we we definitely appreciate that. We really well, do. Um,
1: and I love the approach from balance. He's trying to, you know, Charlie is, is looking at this and saying, Hey, you know, there are, there are things that we have to balance. And that's what I talk about when I talk about defensive firearms in general is we always have to make a balanced choice yeah. between the pros and the cons. So good on Charlie for looking at that.
0: Yeah. Very good. Okay. Let's move forward. we got a few of these here. Anyway, this one's from Jacob. Uh, he says, Hey doc and crew, uh, he wanted to he's from Connecticut wanted to mention that uh he's loved having Melody on now and uh, we agree with that and again I'd like to uh give grant the kudos on that uh, for bringing her on uh, a few episodes back the topic of the 380 high point carbine was brought up you asked for people who own high points to write in well here I am uh sort of i own a high point pistol model JHP and 45 ACP i purchased the gun at a big box retailer on sale used though it looks like it had never been fired. It already had the Hogue grips installed, and with a box of white box Winchester ammo, it was just over 200 bucks. I have roughly 2,000 rounds through the gun. The only issue I have had was a failure to fire, but that was the ammo's fault, not the firearm. It's big, bulky, ugly, but it's ultra-reliable, li- very accurate, and with minimal recoil. It's fun to shoot. I always bring it to the range, and it never lets me down. I've used it a few times to shoot a non-competitive version of IDPA that the local gun range offers, and it will. All, it always surprises people how how well it actually shoots. I do actually open carry the this pistol daily. Don't worry, it's not my everyday. I do because it says it's not his everyday carry. But he says, I do actually open carry this pistol daily. Don't worry, it's not my everyday carry, and I always conceal it in public. But when I go up to the barn to feed the horses, I grab the high point. I figure that if I do something stupid and fall in the mud or manure, <laughs> the high point will clean up just fine. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I wouldn't, Talking about a specific, you know, they ought to use that as a, as a selling point, high point firearms. When you're walking through manure,
1: <laughs> crap.
0: I for wouldn't. Crap. Want, I wouldn't want to get my everyday carry Gen Four Glock 29 dirty. Okay, now I'm getting. A, I'm getting the gist of it. Uh, he says he doesn't everyday carry it. You know, the full day, but just when he goes up to the barn. I would love to own a high-point carbine. However, by the time I fell in love with my pistol, the carbines were made illegal in Connecticut. Our governor, Daniel Malloy, has stated that they are unsafe and can't be owned. I have a friend who owns one that is grandfathered in, and though he has a lower round count than I do, he said he has also experienced no issues. Seriously, if you guys ever get the chance to take one to a range, give it a go. I would also like to add that I am excited someday, maybe, to purchase the Taurus Curve. I don't think I'd carry it often, but it looks weird, and it's different. And for that, it will, assuming they get the stamping issues sorted out, earn a spot in my safe. Until then, I wait patiently. Take care, crew. And again, thank you, uh, that uh, Jake from Connecticut. So, yeah, we did ask. We talked about the 380 uh, High Point Carbine. And we were like, okay, trying to figure out why. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, it's, you know, I did make the call out. If anybody has had good, uh, uh, you know, service out of these things, let us know. And this is good that he wrote in to tell us this. And uh, by no means do I want to say, because I've never owned one. I mean, you know, and that was one of the reasons for it. But um, uh, I've heard, you know, the carbines do shoot good. And they shoot well, and they don't really have any issues with them. Uh, they look like something that should have been on the 1970s versions of Star Wars. Right. In 1960s. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> they
2: they they remind me of what people in, like, 1950 thought that life would be like in 1990. Right, true.
0: Or that's what they, they remind me of. True. But, uh, and he's right, they are big, and I do think they are ugly looking. Now, some people, that's, I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder at that point, but... Uh, no, nah, they're just ugly. Anyway, um, do uh, – w- w- what do you guys – I mean, you know, um, I, I still don't feel like I would – now, I've known some people that actually had them uh, that have had problems, like massive problems. I, I say I know them. I know of them. They're at the range, and I, one guy went in one day and was shooting one, came out, and it just – it, it, it brought it in a little box, out in a little box because all the parts – we're kind i mean really that's exactly what happened and uh you know of course the um the the range operator immense immediately launched into a diatribe as to how stupid it was for the guy to have the gun and carry i mean just totally berating in there and and, you know i mean all we know is he could have been shooting it for somebody else i mean i i I I didn't appreciate the way he did that um i mean if he's got a comment about the gun i in my opinion he could have just said well you know high points i don't know you know and then of course afterwards i asked him have you ever shot one If you have one no uh so you know I, <laughs> you read about it on the internet though. yeah yeah but um and, and that's one of the reasons why you know i kind of wanted to call out to have somebody to, to let us know what their what their thoughts were because uh you know i've not shot one. i don't have one you know so you guys got any comments uh based on this email crickets crickets it is thanks thanks for writing in i mean
1: yeah you know it's (laughs) it's, it's an area that i don't have experience with and and i probably won't have a chance to get experience with but you know um for some folks that may be the right choice so thanks for sharing and we appreciate that
0: Mm -hmm, sure do sure do and uh once again uh if anybody from the uh high point uh company is listening it's excellent for the walk through the manure so (laughs) That could make a nice title too. Yeah, we we're getting
1: yeah. bigger with our title, aren't we? Well, we got to think about it. I mean, it's it's
0: important. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Uh, let's see here. Um Here we go. Uh this is from Sean. And uh, Sean G, Sean says great podcast. Look forward to hearing you every week. We thank you for that. I don't have many guns, but I'm slowly growing I re- is slowly growing. I recently acquired in 1900 that is a night and oh, excuse me, an FM 1900 that is nickel plated. I don't know, it was designed by Grant's favorite gun designer, John Browning. I don't know, I know it was, des- excuse me, God, again, these glasses, uh, by John Browning. Uh, Grant does love John Browning, we know that. It has some scratches on one side. I was wondering if I should have them taken out and replace it, uh, replate it rather. I also, picked up a New England Firearms Break Action Revolver. It does not list the model or caliber. How would I find out what caliber it is? Keep up the great work. I guess, Grant, you might want to. call called you out.
2: Yeah, if you've uh, the, the gun designed by a guy who wasn't talented enough to build a revolver. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I wish Man, you were here just, right now. GrantCunningham.com. Dra- <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the if the finish on the 1900 is original and i don't remember if they made them nickel plated originally i uh, i'm sure they they probably did because nickel was relatively popular during the run of that gun and they made gosh they made the better part of a million of those darn things i mean it's a it's a was a very popular gun at the time if the finish is original i would leave it uh, i would not want to try to take it because the only way you're going to take scratches out essentially is to strip the plating, repolish the the part and then replate it. And I don't know that I would go to that extent. I think I would tend to leave it like I said especially if it's original finish. Now if you've got any nickel peeling, any place like it, it typically around the muzzle it will peel or or sometimes around the sharp edges of the trigger guard it will peel, then yeah, I might consider re-nickeling it and then having the scratches taken out. But I would base the decision on whether or not you're going to refinish the entire gun. And as I said, if the if the nickel's in good shape, and particularly if you believe it to be original finish, and a decent refinisher can probably tell you if it is or not, I would tend to leave it. Mm-hmm. Can Just I ask a
1: question, couple questions, Grant? Sure. Out of, out of curiosity. So from, from your statement, I would imagine that you're saying that if you leave the original finish, which has minimal wear on it, it's more valuable as a firearm than to have a perfect new finish. Is that... Exactly, the, yes. And is that the general general rule with firearms, whether they're blued, whether they're nickel-plated, if it's an original finish, it's going to be, even if it's worn, a more valuable finish than a refinish?
2: In general, yes. Okay. It, it depends a lot on, on the gun, of course. If we're talking, say... If we were talking a recent production, say 1911, mm-hmm. was uh, you know, something in the last, say, 20 years or so, then no, go ahead and, and refinish it. It's not really going to affect it. But when we start talking about very old guns, and the older they get and the more unusual it is to find something with original finish, mm-hmm. then the more valuable it's, it's going to be. It's very much like furniture. And anybody who's ever watched Antiques Roadshow and watched – especially the the twin brothers talk about having original finish on – Uh, furniture, it's kind of the same thing. When you get to a certain point where you don't see original finish, it becomes an issue. We're starting to see this now with some of the guns produced in the 1950s and 1960s. And of course, pythons are a really, really good example. You don't want to refinish a python unless it's just really heavily worn, because the original finish is, is very desirable. And we're starting to see that Two with some of the Bluesmith and Wessons from the from the fifties and sixties, it's getting a little hard to find certain models that have original blue finish on it. So it's very often better to leave the original finish than it is to refinish.
1: All right. I want to follow that up now with a question about wear. You talked about heavily worn. When we're talking about scratches like our listener writing in, is that significantly different than holster wear?
2: Depends upon where it is. It okay. depends upon how bad it is. And this is—it's always tough to say without seeing it. But in mm-hmm. general, if we're talking just scratches in the finish, that's like having muzzle wear at the, at the holster, usually. Okay. But especially on the night—the uh, the thing with the nineteen hundred is that on the side plate, the side plate is—and you have to look at a picture of one to understand where that happens. Uh, and the—it's—it's. It's, not unusual to see f- wear on the side plates on those guns, because of the design of the gun. So, I would I would tend to leave it, well, unless it's unless it's gouged. If it's gouged, well, then you've got another. But if it's just finished scratches, a few finished scratches, I would tend to leave it. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, <clears throat> and keep in mind, I am not an expert on this. Consult a uh, a, a, a an experienced firearms appraiser for definitive answers
0: but in general yeah um and then of course the second part where he talked about the break action revolver the new england firearms uh how do you find the? you know that's one question i get a lot too and and, and i don't really know the good answer to a certain degree i mean how, if you don't have a model or you don't have the ca- you know how do you know what the caliber is
2: the easiest way to do it is to do a cast of the chamber Mm-hmm. And you can buy a product called I think it's Cerosec. Uh, you can buy it from Brownells. It it melts on a stovetop, and you and you pour it into the chamber and wait for it to cool, and then yank it out and measure it. And that's an easy way to find out mm-hmm. exactly yeah, the caliber is pretty easy. I mean, you can measure the yeah, caliber sure calipers, but you don't know what the cartridge is. Uh, because there are, for instance, a number of different thirty-two caliber cartridges and thirty-eight caliber. So the easy way is to get some Saro Safe and, and chamber cast it. If you don't want to go to that extent, any decently equipped gunsmith can do that, because you do that with rifles a lot, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of rifles out there, particularly Customs, that you have no clue mm-hmm. what, what the cartridge is unless you do a chamber cast. Mm-hmm. So find 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 a a gunsmith that's used to working on custom and antique mm-hmm. rifles, and trust me, they will have this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, that's an important point. You don't want to put the wrong thing in there and, you know, end up with meddling your forehead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, you, you can wear that ball cap. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> maybe that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We, let's get one more here. And, uh, Grant, I believe uh, we have an anonymous emailer. Yes, we do. Uh, we have an anonymous
2: emailer for well, he's not anonymous to us. We know who it yeah. is. but a, a fellow who wrote in who who doesn't want his name mentioned for obvious reasons. And seeing where the email is from, I can understand his reasons. He said, "I'm responding to your podcast about carry options. So I have a CCW in a state in a state that does not allow open carry." I ride a motorcycle just about year-round, and I am not allowed to carry at work. So when I park my motorcycle at work, I have to disarm. I am able to lock my firearm in a hard trunk on my bike. About the only way i found to carry while riding, then to be able to disarm and not give away my CCW or to alarm others, is to use a fanny fanny pack to carry while riding. This allows me to disarm and lock away my firearm while at work and then rearm myself for my commute home when i'm on a long pleasure ride i use a holster t-shirt i know it's not ideal but found it is the only comfortable way to carry while riding my primary carry firearm is a car cw9 or a ruger sp101 with the two and a quarter inch actually two and an eighth inch barrel i am wondering if you have any other suggestions for carrying while i'm riding i am open to any ideas i have been a long time listener and enjoy the information presented particularly that by grant who is a wonderful human being oh yes yes That part, that part wasn't in my email. <laughs> well, you got the abridged version, obviously. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, mm. So, and has little
0: hands. And my little hands. <laughs> little hands, Grant.
2: Um, okay, I used to uh, back in my early days. I used to ride a motorcycle most of the year round, even here in Oregon. And it takes real dedication to ride a motorcycle in the winter here in Oregon. I got to tell you.
0: Of course, it was and, the battery operated kind from Fisher. Yeah, Price, that's true. Yeah, Vespa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vespa. Uh,
2: like <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like the little things the little scooters that doc uses to get around the airport when he's chasing bill knight down how did you know yeah how did you know <laughs> goodness uh, like you i i found realistically only two ways that were really useful to carry on a motorcycle and the first way was the fanny pack as far as i'm concerned fanny packs were made for motorcyclists because they they are absolutely perfect. And the only other way that really worked was a leather jacket that had a breast pocket or a Napoleon pocket into which you could put a gun in a pocket holster and that was relatively easy to reach. Now most of the time I rode Italian cafe racers and the it, the the leathers that I wore were relatively tight and typically did not have those pockets. Now, if you're riding a Harley or some cruiser bike where you've got the option of doing that, that's always a good one. And since I wore leathers all the time, <clears throat> the, and the, these relatively tight-fitting leathers, I had the figure for it. And
0: skinny jeans. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, the, the fanny pack was really it. And the the other great thing about the fanny pack is I could keep money in the outside pocket of the fanny pack so when I got to get gas, I didn't have to kind of get through the le- the leathers on the, the pants and get to stuff there. So the fanny pack really is, as far as I'm concerned, is tailor-made for motorcycle riding. The one thing that I would suggest about locking the gun away is that, and, and again, for disarming when you're riding, again, the fanny pack is ideal because you can disarm without anybody seeing the darn gun. <clears throat> The only thing that I would suggest is to not rely on the hard-sided luggage on your bike to secure the gun. I would recommend that you get one of the locking gun boxes. And it it doesn't have to be one of the quick-access ones because this is going to be a storage device. A key lock is perfectly fine for this. But get one that's big enough to hold the gun in the fanny pack and bolt it inside of the hard luggage of your bike, and that might mean bolting it to the through the um, uh, through the, the the luggage part of it into the bracket, or perhaps to the sub bracket that uh, that uses it, and bolt that in there so that if somebody does break into the luggage, they can't steal your gun. Very good.
3: You know, um, Sig used to make a line of jackets that had um, the pockets in them um, to carry a handgun and I don't know if they still do but Coronado Leather um, which is CoronadoLeather.com Leather does make a line of uh vests and jackets that have a concealed carry uh pocket built into them
2: yeah a surprising number of the motorcycle specific jackets actually do have the pockets and and they say designed for a firearm and because that's kind of a a big thing among, uh, among motorcyclists is being able to, to have that. So th- those jackets are out there if it fits in with the kind of riding that you do and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Awesome.
1: The other issue with a jacket like that is it doesn't take away the issue of being able to store that firearm unless he's going to store the entire jacket, which then you know becomes a problem because hard-sided luggage on a bike is is limited in space. And so right. that has to be considered. Um, I, don't, I don't have a whole ton to add to what Randy just chimed in with there and what Grant had to say. But what I'll say is, you know, think outside the box. When it comes to carrying on a motorcycle, um, take a look because you can't carry at work. The key is the, the gun needs to be stored before you go into work. That can happen a mile away from work. You know, you could hit that uh, Starbucks to get your morning coffee or whatever it might be into your thermos at Starbucks. Use the restroom. Disarm from whatever carry position you're using while you're on the bike that works the best on the bike, and then store in the Starbucks parking lot before you ride into work. So this happens in the restroom behind closed doors. Gun, you know, holster comes off of belt, goes into lockbox. Lockbox goes back out into hard sided luggage and gets attached with a cable or whatever method you use to to store it. That's a possibility. Now that's not terribly convenient. And and maybe that last mile or two miles from the Starbucks to work is the place that you're most concerned about. That kind of an evaluation has to be made by the, the folks that are that are making these decisions. And so um, since this is an anonymous call, I'm going to choose to address you as McLovin. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> McLovin, think about that as you, as you make your decision. And if that's the case, if that kind of a strategy works, then I'll give you a couple of carry methods or, or really one carry method that I really prefer and would work great on a motorcycle, especially a a cruising bike, um, the appendix position. Um, I prefer appendix position and commercial air travel. And the appendix (laughs) position really gives, it's kind of an inside joke we'll talk about someday maybe, so keep listening. Um, It gives you a place on a motorcycle where the gun is relatively protected because you aren't on a motorcycle. People can be around you and interact with you in all kinds of ways. The biggest challenge people find there is comfort. And for that, I want to say, if you're having a hard time carrying comfortably on a bike, you've got to give it a solid two weeks in a position before you can declare it. Nope, this isn't going to work. Now, you may be able to say right off the bat, oh, no, no, this is causing physical pain. This is not going to work or it physically doesn't fit in an area. But if you're finding discomfort, give your body some time to adjust. You know, you get a brand new pair of boots They don't feel perfect the first day. Now, the boots do adjust to your feet to some degree, but let's face it. Your feet also adjust to the boots, and they get used to the pressure in different places. It's the same with a holster. So when you're thinking about those positions, great. Now, that doesn't help you if you're not able to stop someplace else and disarm. You're very smart to make sure that you're keeping things under the radar when it comes to that storage. And uh, good luck in your endeavor.
0: I'm glad you brought up the appendix, carry because, uh, you know, back a few episodes ago, uh, you know, we were talking about carrying in a car. And, and Paul, you mentioned the reasons why you wouldn't want to carry off body in the car, which I thought that was excellent. And so I have switched my mode of carry in a car to make sure that it's on my person at all times. Awesome. I did it for you, baby. Thank you, sweetheart. (laughs) And your meat hooks. Anyway. (laughs) so uh the the, the thing, only thing was with, uh you know i I think uh it's on my hip, you know uh if I carry it in, in the waistband or whatever and um with 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 the way my car and my cars are uh you know I've got like the bucket kind of seats that sure. wrap around you and and it makes it a little more difficult for me to uh retrieve the gun in that position uh, right. especially if I've got like a coat on. Uh, or the like, you know, uh, and you've got the, uh, you know, the, uh, of course right-handed. So I've got it on my right hip and, uh, you've got the seat belt to contend with. Right. You've got, uh, you know, the curvature of the bucket seat to contend with, uh, you know, you had mentioned, of course, that you like to carry appendix. Appendix is very fast, uh, as we already know. It is. And, uh, I, I like that idea too. I'd like to carry appendix, um but in the car as you mentioned to me it's just like i can't quite figure out how to do that but especially in a car it'd be quick because it's right there you know
1: just and and so you can't figure out a way to do it doc because it doesn't seem comfortable
0: it well, doesn't seem well that and and I, it seems to shift when i sit down okay. it wants to push you know yeah kind of so- out of
1: when we look at appendix carry, uh, just like any holster, <clears throat> there are some things that we need to look at in that holster to make sure that it's going to be secure for us. And, mm-hmm. and in appendix carry, I traditionally like either a very wide attachment point. So, you know, an attachment point that's about an inch in in uh, width across interacting with the belt mm-hmm. needs to be the same size as the belt so that it holds tightly. And I am very much in favor of hard attachment points. Uh, When it comes to appendix carry, soft loops just don't seem to work anywhere near as well. Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of guy that wants that gun locked in place so it's going to be exactly in the same place every time. And so when it comes to appendix carry, think about hard attachment points, either two attachment points or one wide hard attachment point. And that'll help keep the gun in the proper position. Because otherwise, you know, things move around in that area of our body. When we stand up, things are in a different position than when we sit down. And depending on where you carry, if the muzzle of the gun bumps the top of the leg, that's going to shift things around. So we really want to carry so the muzzle of the gun kind of sits in that crease between our thigh and our, our crotch. You know, let's, let's be right up there. That's, that's the area that the muzzle needs to sit to be comfortable if you're sitting and that's an important key. Now I've got a, I have to confess about something now. Like I'm, I'm actually almost terrified to say this for the past two weeks, I have been carrying appendix in the most comfortable appendix carry holster that I have ever experienced. Um, and it is a holster that costs $22 49 cents retail. It is a Blackhawk ARC, A R C Appendix Reversible Carry Holster. This thing has a a softness to the polymer that makes it pretty comfortable. They've rounded it out all the places it needs to be rounded. It's got a one-inch wide uh, polymer attachment point that is height adjustable, so you can bury that gun deep down in the waistband or lift it up and out. And this thing is incredibly comfortable and incredibly well designed. It might might not be perfect for everybody, but here's what's cool about it: is it allows you to try appendix carry for less than dinner out. Twenty five bucks, you're, you know, giving it a shot, and for a couple of weeks, go for it. And so that's what I'll suggest out there: is that if you're thinking about appendix carry, um, this holster opens things up. You don't have to spend a hundred bucks to get a holster to try appendix carry.
3: I feel very alone. Me too. Me three.
1: (laughs) Did we lose doc?
2: doc? Doc?
3: Paging Dr. Wesson. To surgery, paging
0: Dr. Wesson to surgery. Did I do it again? <laughs> I just yammered on and just... Oh Way to go, Paul. Good job, Paul. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Keep your yeah,
1: meat hooks right. off the mute button, Doc.
0: Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I was saying... <laughs> that I, I to me I, you know when i do carry for for work you know and with the remora i have to take it off uh you know so i've i've got that it makes all the sense for me <laughs> and i like to have it in the appendix position if i carry now in the car that's a little more difficult with that one i think because there is no attachment point it's right. all based on the friction of the the rubberish the synthetic type material that's there <laughs> i can get it to work but you know it's it, any movement whatsoever on my part starts to kind of turn it out um where the muzzle's kind of like pointing straight into my gut <laughs> yeah right <exactly>. so <clears throat> but you i mean you know you get the point there you get
1: the point. That's where the hard attachment point really helps out yeah, because yeah. it helps to stabilize the gun people forget that the gun is is very grip heavy because of all of the ammunition and mm-hmm. especially if you're carrying a small gun um there's no stability in that gun it has that tendency to want to roll out so right. it's it's the reason why i carry the glock quote 18 unquote is because the longer barrel stabilizes
0: the gun and adds to the security right makes sense um so you know i will say though Mar- uh, remora does make those type of holsters with the same grippy but they actually have uh an attachment point on that as well and it's a metal uh attachment uh isn't that yeah. right right uh joe are they metal? Attachment? Yeah, and Via they're snap. also
3: they're also making a uh, <clears throat> Kydex hybrid holster. Yes, now. yes,
0: yeah, the hybrid as well. But I know that uh, they they make one that's kind of like tuckable, uh that you can snap the uh, thing on and off the actual attachment point. Seems to do pretty well. But yeah, uh, to me, I think it's very important. Uh, that that makes all the sense is to have one that attaches for that reason. I, just the shifting part. Now it can be uncomfortable, but I think if you get it in the right spot, it it, it kind of disappears. You're not, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, that was just a question I'd had. I thought about it yesterday when I was driving in. I thought I got to talk to you about that. Uh, so it was it was very apropos that you uh, brought that up uh, at the same time uh i tell you what i had another one we were we had i just noticed it it was one we had uh was on facebook that was a um a comment uh from steven but we'll get to it next time because we're starting to run long now and i know grant has to go mess with this kombucha um uh, what he's making in the garage there whatever it is uh Everybody still here? I'm here. Am yeah. I am yeah. I yeah. muted? You, no, no. We're just uh, you, waiting to
3: see what you where you wind up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, exactly. anyway, so
0: let's let's call it a day. Uh appreciate you guys being on as usual. Um we'll uh, uh I guess uh briefly uh just want to mention Grant, uh, do, you, do you have what you have anything coming up that you've got a new book or something you don't want to review on your own show here or <laughs>
2: Yes, I do have a new book coming out that'll be out in November. It's a book of defensive training drills. And of course, I'll be in, uh, in Ohio with Paul at Safety mm-hmm. Solutions Academy teaching threat centered revolver in June. And we still, Paul, I think we still have some openings in that class. So Yeah,
1: we've got a couple of spots open, but uh, those are starting to fill up. We were getting a, a good response. So uh, head on over to ssa.training slash TCR. And you can get all the information you need. Threat-centered revolver with Grant.
0: Well, that takes care of both of you guys. And then, yeah, uh, <clears throat> uh, Joe, you got any articles that are going to be published uh, coming up? And uh... Uh,
3: No, I uh, have not received any communication from the new editor, <laughs> if there is a new editor. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gun digest.
3: But I did get paid.
0: There you go. Cha-ching. Hitting it big time. Well, very good. Very good. We're glad that you you got that $5 million that they were owing you. And uh, (laughs) Grant's got a new book that he can go on posing shows to review. (laughs) All right, guys. let's call it today. Uh, Always enjoy it. Uh, Y'all have a good one. And we'll catch up with you next go around. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya. That will do it for this episode of The Gun Nation. Thanks for listening to the program. Go to our webpage at gunnation.us. Give gets all the links we talk about in the show as well as the contact information for all the hosts as well as their webpages. And until the next episode, remember, stay armed, stay polite, and keep ballistic panels out of your melon.